Well, good morning and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. My name is Chris Pleckenpole, and I am so glad that all of you are here with us. Um, listen, uh, we are in a series called Reconciled, and we are in uh, just a tough place as a country, aren't we? And um, the reason why we want to lean into sort of the social unrest that's been dividing races and polarizing politics is because we felt like the church should be the one place that has an answer to the brokenness of our world. And I feel like this is where we're going uh, as a culture, and uh, we want to bring together the, the church. I'm going to talk specifically to the church for right now. And our heart is we want us to be one, just as the Father and Jesus are one, just as uh, the God and us are one because of what he has done for us. And that's the series called Reconciled. And I'm so glad that you're with us. And please share this on your whatever social media platform you're on, whether it's Facebook or it's Twitter, or sorry, Facebook or YouTube or Twitch. And my heart would be that around the nation, around the world, people respond to this call to live out our lives as reconciled people. Now, if you have any questions, one of the things that we love to do around here is answer questions. We do questions. Uh, and so if you have a question, uh, text us here at this number, and we'll keep this number on the screen uh, for the rest of this morning. Now, a couple years ago, uh, I went to a uh, birthday party for one of our pastor's sons that's on staff, Joseph. And so um, when we went to uh, the party, or I show up at the party, and it was at Monster Golf in Round Rock. How many of you guys know Monster Golf in Round Rock? It is an incredibly fun place to play uh, some miniature golf. And my son Austin was enthralled with it, and so we went to the party. Now, um, when I showed up, uh, can I just be honest with you? I don't like being new. And so um, I'm, whenever you show up to our church, I'm really sensitive uh, to the fact that you're new, and I want to make you as comfortable as possible because I feel terribly uncomfortable when I'm new anywhere. So when I showed up, all of Joseph's family was there and uh, a, a lot of his friends and there's like two other white people in the room. And so I already felt uncomfortable as we went into like the little party room. I already felt a little bit uncomfortable because I wasn't, I didn't really know a lot of the people that were there. And then, um, it kind of made it extra uncomf because I look different. So you could probably tell that I, you know, one of these kids is not like the other. And I, all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, uh-oh, uh, there's a reality that people might be looking at me. And so what do I do? I look busy, right? Like what you do in that moment is you look like you have something to do so you don't look like you're completely uncomfortable. So I'm like overly attending to Austin and Jet and being like, all right, guys, uh, now here's your cake. Now make sure you eat it with the fork. Like I don't ever care about that ever usually. And in this moment, I'm like attending to that. And thankfully, thankfully, I don't know uh, if um, this other guy's name is Josh. Uh, he came over to me and he goes, hey, uh, I'm Josh. I think we've met before. And uh, we had, we met at a different church, a, a different fun Chris, uh, Christian function thing. And he started to talk to me. And we just, actually, it was a great conversation. And I felt unbelievably welcome. It took one guy doing one conversation, a place where I sort of felt out of place, felt uncomfortable, and he transformed it, and he had to be intentional. Josh had to be intentional to do two things. One, to reach out to someone 
different. And then two, to not make me feel like a project, right? Like the reality was he was really kind to me. And I'll just never forget that moment of feeling embraced and when I felt different. And um, for a lot of you that are not predominantly white, right? In our church, we're a predominantly white church. But when you have come to our church, you have sort of hung in there, even if you felt uncomfortable. I really appreciate that. And the heart is for our church to be an example, just like Josh at Joseph Party came and crossed the lines of cultural divide. He made me feel comfortable. We want to do that same thing for you. So that's why we talk about this stuff. We're bringing it out in the open. That's why tomorrow night we're talking safe place to talk race. But I feel like uh, there's, there's essentially three reasons why we don't break down the walls uh, between race and culture. And can we just talk about those three reasons just for a second? One, it's uncomfortable, right? It, listen, nobody likes being new anywhere. Okay, ladies, okay, that's probably not true. Uh, there are some of you who love to be new all the time, everywhere, and you're like just grateful because nobody knows what you did at the last place you're at. And you're like, thank God I'm new. Nobody knows. All right, but for most of us, it's uncomfortable to be different and it's uncomfortably new. And so to um, break down those walls, somebody from a uh, majority culture, majority uh, place of like th- a place of comfort has to bridge that gap and break down the walls. Okay, second, um, we resist breaking down walls between race and culture because it costs something. Josh had to give up his preference of probably talking to the family and friends that he had known for years, and there was this like, reality that he had to go and make an outreach moment because it wasn't comfortable. It was like he could see that I was new, he could see that I was different, and he had a place of commonality with me, and he went for it, and I'm so grateful he did, but it cost him something to do that. And then finally, uh, we kind of look at our culture, <laughs> we look at our country, and we like, listen, this ain't working. It'll never work. We might as well just keep everybody in their own little place, and might as well keep everybody uh, uh, like separated so we don't have an outbreak of battle that turns bloody because it just won't work anyway. So why even try? And I feel like it's that sort of attitude that sort of kind of creates more walls when we get so frustrated by all the friction that we see. And we start blaming a lot of people as opposed to taking responsibility for what we can do to make a difference in a racially charged and polarized world. So this morning, um, I want us to get to Ephesians chapter 2. So if you don't have your Bible, would you just open to Ephesians 2? And then we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to just, again, I'm probably going to mess this up. And so I, I need your help in praying for me as I proclaim a message of hope and peace. And I, and I want us to kind of look at this as something that everybody can grow from. So would you guys mind praying with me and for me? for God's word to be proclaimed in spirit and truth and in power. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. We trust you, and we are desperately in need of you to do a work um, in our country, but more importantly, in our church. That our church would be a, a safe place where race could be talked about, could be lived out, cultural's, uh, cultural um backgrounds uh, would be welcomed and would be celebrated. Uh, But God, overall, the the greatest culture and the greatest um, thing that would unite us is our citizenship, our hope that is in heaven. 
So God, I'm praying that you would speak through me and then on the same way that I'm speaking, I'd be on the other side of this camera behind a screen watching and as you would speak to me and convict me and, and use me uh, to be the change I'm hoping to see happens in our church and in our country. We love you, Jesus. Uh, use this time to glorify yourself. Amen. Okay, here we go. Let's take a look at this uh, uh, outline of, of Ephesians 2 for a second. Okay, so Ephesians 2, it starts out verse 1 through 10, is really God reconciling man to himself. And there's a classic verse, Ephesians 2 8, which I love, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. You were dead, and by grace God made you alive to him, and so you are no longer spiritually dead, separated from God's love. Isn't that great news? And then second, he's going to remind us, hey, listen, you can't ever forget that God removed the barrier between God and people. And then God removed the barrier between God's people and the Ephesian church, which is a big deal. God's people in general in the past had only been the Jewish people, the, the people of Israel. But what God did in, in sending Jesus is that he made the two one. And so he's going to remind them of that fact. And then finally, uh, God indwells the new people as he once indwelt the temple. That the church is no longer a building. The church is the body of Christ lived out among people. All right, so that's where we're going. We're going to be in Ephesians 2. We're going to start at verse 11. So we've just talked about how by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, but it's the gift of God so nobody can boast. And now we're moving into remembering what Jesus has done for us. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, okay, by what is called the circumcision. And you can put like the little air quotes uncircumcision by call the circumcision. And so what he's saying here is that, um, man, how, how can I best put this? It, it's not like it's quite like the N-word, but it's getting close to it, okay? You with me? It's like you, weren't, you used to be part of those people, the people that um, we don't associate with, the people that live on the other side of the tracks, the people that um, we don't want to be um, recognized to be a part of. Uh, this, is a, this is a big deal. In fact, in, uh, in my quiet time this week, uh, Acts, I was reading through Acts 11, and you know, Peter, like the, the, the guy who followed Jesus around on this, you're Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that guy. All right, so Peter is taking the gospel to Cornelius, who was like a Roman centurion, like a commander of about 100 people. And he had been told by God to do it. He had a vision by God to do it. And he got criticized. Like Peter, like his shadow's healing people, Peter is criticized for him stepping foot inside a Gentile house because a good God's people person would know you don't step foot in that house because it's unclean. You are defiling yourself. You are making yourself unpresentable to God. And this is where God is changing things. So when, when Paul is writing this, he's saying, like, you used to be seen as uncircumcised, unclean by those who thought of themselves as the good people. But that was made by f in the flesh by hands. In other words, it wasn't spiritual. It was an external thing to sort of show the representation of how God's promise would be fulfilled through his people, through circumcision. Okay, now, 
Verse 12, remember that you are at one time separated from Christ, alienated, like sort of at war with from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there was a time at the Ephesian church who were Gentiles, they had no hope. And they need to remember that, that what unites them uh, is something really special. That Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, are both saved by grace through faith, and both had to remember where they came from. Because although Israel had uh, all the, prom- the covenants and the promise, they were only external. They hadn't been transformed on the inside. And so what Paul reminds them is that Christians remember Jesus saved us from being separated from God's love. This is, Jesus saved us from being separated from God's love. And when I think about that, um, this is what I love about um, Christianity is that everybody comes to Christ, and I've said this over and over, everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. And um, whether that you were born, maybe you're like, Chris, there was no crisis in my life. I was born in church, and I've been growed up in church. I've been church my whole life. I get it. My son, Austin, uh, grew up in church. He has been churched. And uh, last night, we were talking about how he uh, came to faith with a, with a friend of mine that, that had come over. And he talked about, you know, I used to be dark. I used to be without hope, but God saved me. And it was kind of hilarious because like, he remembers being three years old and a distinct moment walking down the stairs and he said, I'm going to be a Christian. And, I, and it, was, it was awesome. It was like him sharing his testimony with the group saying like, there was a point that I didn't have God in my life and now I know what I'm saved from. And you're like, well, Chris, I don't remember that three-year-old moment. I get it. But you know the, the status of your life without God. It's hopeless. Now, so what I sort of take that is, is when you're an adult, and whether that's your testimony or your testimony was, uh, I, there was this felt need that I experienced. I was drunk, I was drugged, I was destitute, and I needed someone to save me. And Jesus came, and he met me right where I was, and he freed me from addiction. He freed me from that financial situation. He saved my marriage. He met a felt need which then ultimately pointed to the deeper, unbelievably critical need of our souls being rescued from the depth of hell. And we could be united with Jesus in his love. So whether your crisis was a felt need of some sort of like, things aren't going well in my life, or whether it was you were just like, I know that the sins in my life have stacked up and it reveals in me there's something broken and I need Jesus. My hope would be that your hope would be put in Christ and not in any circumstance and that your full weight of your soul would fall on Jesus. And that's the testimony. And you can get people together from all over the world, whether it's from Asia to Africa to Europe to the Americas, and what happens, and when you share that story Listen, I've been all over the world and everybody has the same general story. There I was, there was my life before Jesus. All of a sudden, met Jesus. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. I believed it and then things changed. And evidently they'll go, and it wasn't perfect, but I started to progressively become more like Christ. And I love those stories. And that's what 
unites us. Okay, now let's look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near. So far off, Gentiles. Not only are you far from Jerusalem because like you're in Ephesus, all right, you're in Turkey, not close. You are far off, but you're also far off because you had no clue what the covenants meant. You had no clue what the scripture taught about God's love for us. You are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, in Jesus' flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, you're like, oh, that is a cool metaphor, Chris. Like, get it? There's this wall of hostility that's between cultural barriers between Jew, which is one race and one culture, and Gentile, which is another race and another culture, and he's made them one. Well, no, it was literally an actual wall in the temple. In the temple court, uh, you had the court of men, uh, court of Israel, the court of and then another separate court of women, and then you had this court of Gentiles. And the court of Gentiles was way out there. The court of men kind of connected the court of women, and it was closer to the Holy of Holies where God was. But the court of Gentiles, you had to be really way out there so that you could come near and get sort of close, but not that close. And then whenever there was Passover, we'd use that to keep the, the sheep and the animals. So you got sort of downgraded to the level of beast or animal because you weren't a Jewish person. That's what happened every Passover, which is why Jesus flipped out and flipped tables. But then when, in fact, there was a, um, a, a sign written in stone that said, you have only yourself to blame for your untimely death if you pass this point. And that message was for Gentiles. Death could happen if you pass that point either by the hand of God or by the hand of another man who said, listen, you are unclean and we need to be protected from your uncleanness. If you bring your worship, you bring your false gods in here, it'll contaminate the rest of us. And in, in a world of infection disease, we sort of understand that, that it wasn't just the, uh, someone getting coughed on, but it was the reality of bringing idolatry and like uh, a theology that was not of the people of God into the closeness of God. And that was not to be tolerated because there was this incredible holiness that God had and it was shown through the Levitical laws of how you had to keep yourself externally. But watch, watch. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, they might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Now, this is huge. He abolished the law. Now, when you read this, doesn't it, at least for me, it takes me back to Matthew 5, 17, because I'm a Bible nerd, and I go, wait a minute, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so I had to make sure this wasn't the same word, because I'm like, oh no, scripture's conflicting. Uh, this word here is uh, the Greek word katergeo, all right, which means to render inoperative, whereas kataluo is Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to abolish the law. That means to destroy it, to completely annihilate it. So this word is by rendering inoperative, turning off the switch, making it no longer apply because you've been pardoned from the guilt of not following the law because Jesus fulfilled it for you, leaving the law with its ordinances inoperative so that you are now seen as Jesus. Does that make sense? So he might create himself one new man. Now, I love this because it's like, it's like the Jews and the Gentiles, two different races, two different cultures have become one new person. And 
uh, both people were sort of accepted into one. And the only thing I can think of is, uh, I know this is probably a terrible example, but Pat Mahomes, all right? Pat Mahomes, you guys, Super Bowl, MVP, champion of the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, I, Craig is pretty fired up. I'm mentioning Pat Mahomes right now. And you Texas Tech people, I know you're pretty fired up. Listen, Pat Mahomes has a black father and a white mother, all right? So when you've got a black, ma- black dad bl- and a white mom, you are one new man representing both races at the same time. Okay, watch. So you can't say to Pat, you're not really black. And you can't say to Pat, you're not really white. He represents both equally. Now look, look. That's what it's like for the new man in Christ because the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down is that you're no longer, um, we've got to figure out how to get uh, the Gentiles to assimilate to the Jewish world. It is, I want your culture. I want your distinction Bring it. And we're going to explain that here in a little bit. But now you're one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's hard to hate someone who you are. And that's what the new body is. It's killed the hostility because we we go from enemy to family. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. In other words, those who are Gentile, you're way out there. Uh, we need you to bring peace. But then also who, those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, Christians remember Jesus broke down the walls designed to protect the holy from the unholy. Because in Christ, he makes all who believe in him, holy. Okay, this is a big deal. And I want to kind of let our, like wrap our heads around this. Um, in church world, we, call, we have this thing called assimilation. And I, if you're like, assimilation, what's that mean? It's like, how do you conform to the culture of Christ? Okay, that is, the only, whenever I've heard that assimilation before, it was always like in a Star Wars, like assimilate the Borg, you know, like, like that's sort of like, that is like what I sort of thought of. But I want you to kind of walk with me through this. And so what happened in Jewish culture, you could be a non-Jewish, born Jewish person and become a Jew, but you had to give up your culture. Here's what I mean. You had to have a surgery performed on you if you're a man. Circumcision. To remember the covenant that God gave Abraham, that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. High barrier of entry. You had to give up your work ethic. There had to be a full rest on the Sabbath. You had to give up your plate because now you had a new diet, kosher food. You had to give up your clothes. No more polyester. You had to be 100% of one uh, type of fabric was all you were allowed to wear. Now think about that. And what you would do then is you'd say, look at, my, uh, look at my body. I'm a believer. Look at my work ethic. I'm not working on the Sabbath. Uh, look at my plate. Look at my food. Look at my clothes. I love God. But when it comes to Jesus, he gets rid of all that. He says, all you point to is the cross. All you point to for your own set of righteousness, is nothing you have done, but only what Jesus has done, removing all barriers of assimilation so that you keep your cultural distinctives as you join the citizenship of heaven. 
And the thing that sort of melts away is that the idolatry of your soul of like that you could somehow do it and that Jesus presents him as like, I've done all the work because by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the work of God so that nobody can boast. And that's the power of the gospel. We go from enemy to family. And so we should be looking across racial, racial, cultural divides and seeing other brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, I know that there is differences and I know that maybe we've hurt each other and I want to reach out and love you because it's uncomfortable. I want to be like Josh who was going across over and above to reach out to me to make me feel comfortable. And we do that by weeping with those who weep. We do that with celebrating those who celebrate different distinct cultural aspects of life. And then, what does that mean? Because I I love the picture of the temple. What does that mean for the temple? Watch this. Watch what Paul writes about the temple. I mean, and it's so unique because as as this new culture, this new man man is formed, look at this. Verse 19. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens. You Gentiles are no longer alienated from Christ. You are one with us, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now look at this. We have got seven words that we're going to highlight. Built, foundation, cornerstone, structure, temple, built, dwelling. All those are edificial, edifice meaning building, building words. They're building words. They're like construct words that kind of referring to the God used to indwell the temple. But now something's happened. Christians remember that the Holy Spirit indwells believers across racial and cultural distinctions. Think about that. It's no longer the temple being the primary source where everyone shows up to Jerusalem. We do all the things we need to do to our bodies, to our work life, to our clothing, to our food. Now we can be accepted. No, no. It is now you are accepted on whatever basis, understanding who who Jesus is and what he's done for you. All right, so we all know, listen, we all know that church isn't a building. Like, we, we've got that, right? Um, but it's even, this, this is what I just love about this. You point to the cross, and that says who you are. But remember when the veil, do you guys remember the, the veil? Like, there was a veil that separated in the temple, the holiest holies from where the priests would work to offer sacrifice. All right, and once a year, a priest would go into the presence of God and offer sacrifices for the sin of the people. But when Jesus went to that cross and he died on the cross, he made one sacrifice for all. And when that veil, when he died, that veil ripped in half because Jesus finished the work of the sacrifice of what the temple was built for to draw people close to God and to atone for sin, okay? So now, oh, so in that same way that the temple was like, the veil was ripped in half. This dividing wall was broken down that separated uh, Gentile from Jew. That's now broken down. So that representation of the temple, the representation uh, between God and man and representation between man and man is totally gone. And so what happens is this beautiful thing that we see in Revelation 7. And uh, man, I love Revelation 7. 
If you're not a Revelation 7 fan, you need to be. It, Revelation 7 is where it talks about the 144,000 uh, Jewish people that are the remnant that are saved in the, in the, like, the final days. And there's uh, 12,000 from every tribe. And there's this point at which in Revelation 7, it starts off with Israel worshiping the Lord. And then there's this shift. It talks about the 144,000, the remnant of Israel worshiping God, worshiping Jesus as the Lamb of God who was slain. And then the camera changes focus, and it looks at the multitude. So the multitude from every tribe, every nation, every tongue were joining in the throng of worshipers, experiencing this unbelievable sense of worship and joy. Every culture represented. There was, and there was this, there were intermixed and the multitude mixed, but there was this unbelievable sense of unreal worship. And yet you could tell where everyone was from as they worshiped the one true God. And that's beautiful. And that's happening in heaven. And I want that to happen on earth. In my heart that this church would be so representative, it would be sort of like the World's Fair, like where every country, every tribe is sort of represented. I, I went to World's Fair in Shanghai, World Expo in 2010. And it was this incredible experience where I got to see all the different cultures from Asia, from Europe, from North America, from South America, from uh, Australia, from all, all the continents of the world, everywhere where people dwelt, they brought their, their culture, and they brought it and they centralized it in Shanghai, and I got to experience it all. But the one thing that was lacking was the worship aspect. It was like all of a sudden you had all these different cultures, and they were all sh you know, sharing the glory of their country. And I, there was a part of me, when I went to the USA one, I'm like, yeah, USA, woo, that's me. And, but the reality was there was something greater going on there, like this human connection. But listen to me. It all revolves around worshiping who Jesus is and thanking him for what he has done for us that we might be one with the Father. And I want that what happens in heaven of the worship and what I've seen on earth with a world expo, I want that to be the reality of our church, that we might reflect our community, red, yellow, black, and white, all being precious in his sight, that that, that unifying hope, that the world would see that we are one, and because they saw that we were one, they would know that the Father sent Jesus one of the greatest things of evangelism is our unity across the racial divide over politics, putting Christ before our Christ culture and our, our citizenship in heaven of being Revelation 7 as opposed to divided over conservative and liberal, Republican and Democrat, social media warfare, where we would be a people bringing peace because Jesus made peace with us. And um, so my question then is, will you break down the walls? Will you break down the walls? I think that's where I want to go. And the way that Jesus broke down the wall, maybe you guys know this, is that on the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. And this is what Christians do. We take communion regularly. So if you are at home, which you are, or somewhere, get something to break bread with, and let's take communion together. Because what this represents is that my body 
feeds on this bread like my soul feeds on Jesus. And that has got to be the heartbeat of what it is to be a Christian. And that same night, Jesus took the cup. So this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we remember that Jesus died so that we might have hope. And this is what Christians do. If you're not a Christian sitting there, this, this is not your thing. This is a family affair. But if you are wanting to be, this is a great way to enter into the family of God and saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. They gave his life. My soul was designed to feed on Jesus. And he gave his life so I might be united to God's love. We're going to take a time of prayer. And what I want you to do here is I want you to um, pray with me. I want you, wherever you're at, if there's something you need to confess, if there's some sort of struggle, some sort of anger, maybe it's a political anger, maybe it's a that person from that group, they have hurt me. And there's this real sense of like, I can't forgive them because of what they did to me and I want you to remember what Jesus did for you. Would you be an instrument of peace to a world that's uncomfortable? Would you be Josh? Breaking over the cultural divide to make someone feel welcome, to make someone feel loved in spite of what might be you perceive to be very very different. If there's anything that you need to confess or repent of, we're going to pray and that'll be your time and then we'll take communion together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for your work. I I am so moved by all that you have done for me personally and how, how much you're doing for this church. I'm praying, God, that you would open up our hearts to confess and repent. Even the, the little things where we're just saying, I can't trust them. They might hurt me. God, would you relieve that, remove that? Lord, for those that have been wounded, would you bring healing? Would you remind that you, you received the ultimate discrimination of death on a cross by your own people? <laughs> by those who were far off. And you gave us an opportunity to be saved. And so we remember that, Jesus. Lord, uh, at home where people are divided by politics, where they're divided by differences. Lord, would you bring reconciliation of showing that there's greater bonds than just how we're going to make government solve our problems. God, I pray that we'd be a people who put our hope beyond the political and see it's all spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And so through that, we use our political influence to make sure the gospel goes forward. And that we'd show an example of what love looks like. We drop our prejudices. And we say, Jesus, we need you. So Lord, um, I'm praying that for somebody for the first time, they, they have never received you, that this morning might be their morning, that they say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Sin against you, my thoughts, words, actions. I've, I'm angry. Would you please forgive me? Give me a new heart. Make me the person you want me to be. I believe you died on that cross. I believe you rose from the dead. Do a work in that person. And Father, for those who have started to follow you and they're starting to lean into uh, this thing of 
making earth look a lot like heaven. Reflecting what Revelation 7 says is in heaven. We could say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would you help us to live that out and figure out ways to make those who feel marginalized, to make those who feel like they're on the outside, far off, make them feel really close to our God and to one another as we move to be family. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a minute. We're going to give you like 30 seconds, and I want you to just reflect and ask God if there's anything you need to be convicted of and repent of before we take communion together. Take 30 seconds.